0: Hello, welcome to this week's Sports Hub show on Fresh Air. I'm Peter Johnson, joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. Uh,
1: We've got a weekend of Premier League and a midweek round of European fixtures to review. We'll also be looking forward to the coming uh, week ahead with, again, another round of European fixtures and some more Premier League action. I think there's only one place to start, really, in the footballing world, certainly in terms of the Premier League, and that was at Anfield. Uh, We have the Merseyside Derby, Alfie. Um, Just to uh, throw a few stats out there before we start, that makes it... Uh, the 2-0 win to Everton, it makes it four home defeats in a row to Liverpool. First time it's happened is 1923, uh, after 68 unbeaten at home in the league. Uh, and in this calendar year, so since the turn of 2021, Liverpool 17th in terms of point points one. Um, do you think questions now start to arise about Jürgen Klopp's future?
2: Um, pff, no, I mean, I don't think so. I think, if anything, I mean, the questions might be from his side, not the clubs. I don't think the club would would sort of get rid of him after sort of what he's done. Having said that, if it becomes increasingly clear that they're not going to qualify for the Champions League and it's very much open for them, I still think they will qualify for the Champions League. Uh, you can't really say that Klopp's position maybe shouldn't be considered at least in the sense that we've seen what's happened with Chelsea and I know you can't compare Lampard and Klopp, but they've got Thomas Tuchelin, and and now they're in the top four and you get that new manager bounce. So it is an interesting one and not one that I really have an answer to, to be honest.
1: No, I mean, I was thinking definitely it's probably more from his side that you would consider a change than from Liverpool's side. Um, I just wonder if you might fancy a run at the Euro or something with Germany, maybe. Just maybe get out of Liverpool in time for that. Um, I just I just feel like it's like we've talked about so many times about kind of reaching the end of a natural cycle and it's just with every passing... I mean, they've got Sheffield United this weekend, so, you know, perfect opportunity to try and turn it around. But I just feel like with every passing negative result, it just feels more and more like kind of this chapter has kind of come to a close, to be honest.
0: Yeah,
2: it's it's tough to look past it. I mean, I like you, I saw a league table since I think it was Christmas Day and Liverpool were, you know, 17th, 16th, something like that. Their form's been atrocious. Like, you know, they haven't scored a goal, I don't think, or they've scored one goal at home uh, since the turn of the year, obviously lost to Everton for the first time in God knows when, um, at, at home at least. And they just look weak. But again, I don't think you can look past like everyone obviously Van Dyke's out, obviously, then Gomez is out, then Joel Matip's out, then Fabinho's out, then Henderson gets injured. They've used about 20 different centre back combinations this year, which must be unheard of for a team like who is accustomed to being at the top of the league or one of the best teams in the league. It's just like it must disrupt the structure of the team so much and to have that instability and on top of everything else this season, it just, I think it's hard to look past the, uh, the context of this. But at the same time, I don't think anyone would have anticipated it going this far sort of gone to, to sort of become a real issue for Liverpool.
1: I mean, I looked at the league table and you've got to go down, unsurprisingly, down to Leeds in 12 to find a team with the worst defensive record than Liverpool. And if you look even further beyond that, you've got Fulham in the relegation zone have actually now got a better defensive record than Liverpool, um, which I suppose shows what defensive stability can maybe do for you. Um, mm. I mean, I think they completely changed their sense back pairing in with through the season, Fulham. Uh, but even so, they have had some considerably more stability than Liverpool. Um, I mean, a match like this... Uh, uh, well not Liverpool's biggest game of the season you would have to say but certainly one of the biggest games of the season um, it can either go one of two ways I think, in situations like this like we've seen teams have a terrible run of form and just like a massive game has just kind of reinvigorated them or it can take away any remaining confidence they've got um, mm. I think it was clearly the latter in this case obviously And it just as soon as that early goal went in I just never got the impression that Liverpool were ever really going to get themselves back into it
2: well, it just looks like they, they, they've they sort of forgotten they're they're in a massive, as we can all see, they're in a massive rut, you know, throughout the team. And then, you know, they need to score goals and they, they have a habit of, they're not very good defensively at the moment, personnel, team structure, whatever. And when you concede, they don't have the answers going forward. Uh, their team just looks disconnected. Mm-hmm. And at, live, at, at home, especially, they just can't find a way to sort of move through the gears and, and score. I, I don't think... They even had many chances. I mean, Pickford made a few great saves, but they were more sort of speculative efforts from outside the box. They're not the sort of Liverpool who are creating loads of chances, and um, yeah, it is just it's it's crazy to think that this has happened. But again, it's like you know one of the one of the title winning teams completely imperious one year, and then the next year, obviously, maybe it's slightly different for Liverpool because it's been a cycle, but they just can't sustain those levels of of. Uh, of dominance.
1: No, I mean, we have seen it before, just thinking about it. You say that we saw obviously United when Strides Ferguson left, and then we saw it with Leicester, which perhaps no great surprise on either of those occasions, to be honest, that there was such a slump the following season. But this is really probably unprecedented, particularly after you know two or three seasons of 90-plus points. But um, they just seem like they lost all confidence in their ability. Um, but I think just like, talking about specifics of the game now, um, it probably didn't make much of a difference in the end, but there was perhaps one slightly contentious call with a penalty. Um, I don't know what you made of that. Uh,
2: remark, the penalty. Oh, right, at the, right at the end. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Um, yeah, I mean, doesn't he sort of, can't quite remember what happened. He's like slides in, doesn't he? And then... Yeah, and he's kind of
1: already made a tackle and he's kind of sitting up after to get himself off the ground and then Cavallo goes over. It was all kind of a... Yeah,
2: I think, again, um, if, it's, if it's not given and it's checked, then it's not given. But the fact that it's given... Yeah. It's not a significant enough error to overturn the decision. I mean, the, the I think the referee went over and like I'd never seen a referee sort of look at the screen for a shorter period of time. No,
1: I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, I think it was one of them, whatever decision the on-field draft made was going to be the right one, really. Yeah. Fairness. Um, I mean, let's turn to Everton now. I mean, we love doing this, focusing on the team that's lost, but let's give Everton some credit. It's first win at Anfield since 1999. Um, first win in a derby at any venue since 2010. Um, and they last finished at Liverpool. Um, in 2012-13 with David Moyes before he jumped ship to Man United. Um, so it's obviously it goes without saying it's a huge opportunity to finish above Liverpool again. And a European spot after you know a dip kind of around October, November, after a promising start is you know very much a possibility now.
2: Yeah, they're looking good. You know, they've got they started this game without you know, Dorman at Calvert Lewin was on the bench, came on, made a, an immediate impact, winning the penalty. He looked really good when he came on without uh, Alan, their midfield signing from Napoli in the summer, who were both those two players were sort of the main guys at the beginning of the season. They've obviously been without Luka Dina. Richarlison's been out injured at points. They've had other injuries. So I feel like their sort of whole squad's slowly coming back together again now. And they've obviously got Ancelotti, who's got all the experience in the world, got some decent defenders in there. They're in a decent position in the league as well. So, you know, I, I think... Given, where, given how tight it is, they're definitely within within their rights to feel like they, they're in the fight for a, for a position in Europe. Absolutely.
1: All right, let's turn our attention now then to uh, another Derby match uh, that you'll enjoy talking about, I'm sure. Uh, West Ham beating Tottenham, because you've got a smile on your face, at uh, the uh, London Stadium. So let's start with the positives for a change and look at the winning side, West Ham first of all. So they're above the champions now outright having played the same number of games. And they're only four points off Man United in second place. Um, it's one of them that you just keep, you, you see it occasionally. We saw it with, well, obviously Sample being been with Leicester won the league. We've seen it on other occasions as well, where you're just waiting for a team to fall away. But it's just, it's not looking like it's happening really, in fairness.
2: They, they've they just been brilliant. I was thinking about this yesterday. And I remember when David Moyes was reappointed. I think he... Can't remember if he was sacked first time out or, or sort of left, but he kept them he kept them up, uh, having replaced um, who was it, Pellegrini, and a lot of West Ham fans and other fans included were were sort of under the impression that this was a really safe appointment, unexciting, no inspiration to it. Uh, you know what is a club like West Ham? they have just got this new stadium. So, you know they've got they're a London club. Where's the ambition? Where's the exciting manager? I guess in a way they tried that with Pellegrini. It didn't really work. And they've signed they signed a lot of players who on, on big money who didn't work. And Moyes came in, been going about his business quietly, kept them up, been making some excellent signings, sort of off the radar, kept, you know, a core of of reliable, sort of experienced players as well. And they just look really well drilled, as David Moyes' sides have always been. And they look in a great position to sort of keep going. They're so, you know, um, they don't like you say. They don't look like gonna, they're going to fall away. Fall away. You see, like the likes of Thomas Suchak sort of battling on. I don't yeah. think any of them want to take a rest. They all just look so um, collectively strong, um, which is good to see. To be fair, I don't. Have, I don't really mind West Ham, especially when they beat Spurs with two one.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, some ways more impressive than that comeback from 3-0 down wanted at the start of the season. Mm. Um, but I was looking, I was looking through their, their fixtures today because I had nothing better to do. So I was looking at West Ham's results from the season. Um, and they have had a staggering number of one-nil victories, which I think just kind of assessments and you know, how compact they are really. Mm. Um, Moyes said they still got a few fees, feels feels they still got a few more gears to find, which is maybe slightly unrealistic to expect much more from the players because I think they're already punching above the weight collectively. Um, but they've got you know obviously like as susha Antonio. Um, but you know Jesse Lingard, it' seems ridiculous saying this. He seems to have taken them almost to that next level over the last few weeks, which is just is a bizarre thing to be saying.
2: Well, again, it's like it's an example of shrewd recruitment. They you know the amount of ty- amount of like attempts they've made as a club to bring in a number nine over the years. Like, obviously Antonio is a, is a great player, but injury record. Is is slightly worrying and, and can't always rely on him. They sold their record signing for you know half the price in January, Sebastian Aller to, to Ajax. They've spent all sorts of money over the years. And then they sign, you know, they take a take a punt, but almost it doesn't seem like a punt anymore because clearly Moyes knew what he was doing, must have must have sounded out Lingard and knew that he was ready to ready to make an impact. And he's come in and he, yeah, like you say, he's provided that that spark, that energy in the final third, a bit of unpredictability. And he sort of has the license to do that in a team that is so well-structured and rigid in 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 a way that perhaps he wasn't able to do in a United team, where there, there are other individuals who sort of take um, the priority. But, you know, when you sort him into a team like a Moise's West Ham team, it looks like he can, you know, he's sort of their flair player, the, the one who doesn't have to come and track back. And, I mean, I'm sure as a Man United fan, you're probably... I mean, probably quite pleased for him.
1: I mean, oh gosh, yeah, it's brilliant to see him. I mean, I do remember, I think it was actually in the season under Moyes where he did break into the first team, actually. Uh, and then he had a couple of seasons under Van Gaalway, obviously famous to score the winner in the FA Cup final. And he, mm. was, he, he did seem like a, you know, a very you know genuine prospect for a, for a couple of seasons. Um, and then obviously he fell off the boil and he couldn't really have any complaints. He just was nowhere near up to standard required. Um, mm. But I think, you know, generally, I think people have got a bit of a soft spot for him because he's just he's a nice guy. Like there's nothing really to, to hate about him. It's just you want to see him succeed. Um, I do think West Ham's his kind of level. I don't think he's in any position to come back and join, you know, a Champions League club.
2: Wow, I mean, <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> arguably.
1: Well, he may, he may. Also, that's very really true. Um, but you know, kind of a club of the stature yeah. of a uh, Man United, for example. I don't think that's ever really been his kind of level. I think he's. I think he suits kind of an under, underdog kind of team because, like, I was kind of. He feels like an underdog himself. Really, he just kind of embodies West Ham season. I think.
2: Yeah, this thing. I remember when he broke through at Manchester United, and once he established himself, it almost it always seemed like he was having a lot of fun. And I think he turned into a bit of a laughing stock, uh, sort of quite unfortunately, just because he was at Manchester United in England, and he does all his like you know, dances and celebrations, and quite a lot of uh, I don't know, quite a quite a story built up around him, and and people sort of just wrote him off as a flop. You know, he'd been at the sort of top, I guess, with United and, and England and he was showing himself to be a really important player. And then he just disappeared and everyone was like, oh, Jesse Lingard, what a joke. But it is good to see him playing for West Ham. Again, like you say, a team maybe slightly more his level and, 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 and the pressure that he's under. But also just enjoying his football because clearly he is, a, to some extent, a talented player. And if you can do that and enjoy yourself, then, you know, good for all.
1: I do think it's, I mean, last major tournament, he did go to the World Cup, didn't he? I think he scored against Panama, I think, wasn't it? Something. Um, I think he's maybe a little bit late for him to try and, you know, a late push for the for the Euro squad. But, you know, he doesn't look like he's playing with that kind of pressure. Anyway. He doesn't look like somebody who's constantly going out and trying to impress. He looks like Absolutely. he's enjoying his yeah. football. Um, nice look at Spurs now. Um, five defeats in the last six. It's Mourinho's worst ever return after 50 league matches at a club. I think he's got. Oh, you're loving this. You're loving this. Um, so you think it's, is it I think, 86 points from 50 league games or something, which is his worst return from 50 games at a club. Um, you know, I think we said before this was an appointment that could was always going to go one of two ways, really. You know, Mourinho with a manager with man something to prove, Spurs looking to push the next level, or it could have just gone you know, the other predictable kind of, kind of way. Um, I think perhaps, unlike any job he's ever taken on, he was probably not even wanted. But looking back now in hindsight, I think there was a the majority of Spurs fans who slightly reluctant. And I think we've kind of seen that, aren't we now? Like, kind of get to understand why perhaps that was the case.
2: He's just like, the thing is, I mean, that's why I was, you know, at a point where both Spurs and Arsenal looked like they were losing their managers, you know, more than a year ago now, Pochettino and Emery sort of out the door. Mourinho is very much a candidate for both Arsenal and Spurs, from what like I understood. And as an Arsenal fan, I just couldn't get behind the idea of Mourinho, albeit knowing that it could work. He's got the pedigree, he's got the the reputation, he can get something out of the players, his experience. But you just know that it's not enduring, it's not gonna last. He always finds a way of you know picking his battles, whether that's the right or wrong way to do it you know, it works for some players, it doesn't work for others, but, you know, the sort of, he always levels the um, the blame, always sort of seems to fall at his players' feet and not necessarily his, and it's sort of all out of his control. And nor, as we've seen, it normally happens after about three years at the end of a cycle, but I think with Spurs, given that, you know, they were sort of at a point where he almost had to rebuild them after the previous Pochettino cycle, and he just... Yeah, I mean, it's, they're, a, they're a two-man team, really. I know they've got some decent players, but and I know that's sort of quite a boring thing to say, but when Son and Kane aren't firing, like what... No, I
1: agree. Every single like, game they play, just... At the gone. same
2: time, you know, like a lot of good teams are like that. You, you need to rely on your good players, but it's sort of the coach's responsibility to ensure that when those two aren't, you know, you, when you can't rely on their individual brilliance, it just seems like Mourinho's... Um, sort of method of success is perhaps too reliant on, on you know, star players and and when you know, on a season like this when it's just so like continuous and no rest and how, obviously Harry Kane's been injured and Son suffers without him, it's just like it doesn't work, but yeah, I mean I sort of saw this coming <laughs> I think a yeah, lot of no, players, fans were probably worried about it too I mean, I don't think he's he's in he's going to leave straight away because it would just be too expensive. And at the moment, you know, you don't want to be making too too many changes, but I still expect them to be challenging for the Europa, Europa League spots um, because they can, they've got the quality to do it. Uh, but I don't know what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of come a season early. I mean, he's in his what second season, only his first full season. So even by Mourinho's Sanders, it's quite early to be kind of imploding. Um, so I'd expect him maybe to be able to find another gear, grind, just grind it out a little bit longer. Um, but I've been hit. there's kind of a lot more cynicism. I think I can't really read the, the, the mood towards Daniel Levy a lot of the time, but certainly recently there's been a lot more growing cynicism towards him. Like he's bought a big flash new stadium. He's got a big marquee manager who made that big marquee signing and getting bail on loan. But, you know, there's just increasing thought that was all for show really, just to make it look like he was somebody with ambition. Mm. Um, and so, you know, kind of criticism towards the board mounting. I don't know if that's really fair.
2: Well, it is. The weird thing is, it is like you know, a lot of people. And again, it obviously depends on results. But you know, a few a month or two ago, and Spurs are top of the league, beating City and Arsenal, and all of this stuff. People saying that the move for Mourinho is always a risk, but it pays off. And I, I do think it was an incredibly ambitious move from Daniel Levy to, to go with Mourinho, knowing that that he'd face a lot of backlash from the Spurs fans, knowing that this was a team in a real need of a rebuild and perhaps where that's where the fault lies. Mourinho's is not a, a coach who's going to oversee a, you know, three to four year rebuild. He's, he's a coach who demands instant success and, and wants to be seen as successful. And maybe this was a, a new sort of opportunity for him, but I'm, I think we're seeing that it's, it's quite difficult for him. Um, and he's not the sort of coach who, you know, can like, for example, Arteta, fingers crossed, who can oversee a sort of three to four year old, that three to four sort of year um sort of uh yeah continuous progression to to success and, and rebuilding the the squad and the culture and all that sort of stuff. Whereas Mourinho is not that sort of coach. So yeah, I mean I guess that's it's interesting to see that Arsenal and Spurs have gone in very very different directions since Pochettino and Emery left, yet they're ninth and tenth in the league pretty similar <laughs> trajectories, um, which is slightly
0: ironic. All right, we'll carry on now. We'll just look at, um, I think there was one more
1: standout fixture maybe that we can talk about from the weekend, just going into the Premier League. Um, Arsenal against Man City. <laughs> oh nothing stand out about this game or result, well, anything? Well, just in terms of the, 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 the big six teams against each other, it's maybe worth talking about because, you know, I think the first point I was going to make is, um, you know, City are 10 points clear in the league and nobody's talking about it. Make that what you will. Everyone's talking about you know, United are in second, Chelsea pushing to get in the top four, West Ham pushing to get in the top four, mm. Spurs and Arsenal struggling with the table, and nobody's actually talking about the fact that City are just walking away with the league, which is you know quite amusing, but also perhaps we should shed some light on it. Um, I just felt, listen, it's one of those fixtures now, Arsenal against Man City, just like, for me as a neutral, there's only ever going to be one result. I just.
2: What does the neutral? I think both Man City and Arsenal fans probably feel the same. It like I looked, I saw something today, and the last, I think, six or seven times we have played them, we've conceded a goal before 15 minutes in every single game. That early goal that Sterling scored, especially at the Emirates, they just like know how to blow us away. And whether that's our fault, probably a bit, but also their strength.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean. It just felt so predictable to see that goal go in so early, and then them to just basically run riot for about 15 minutes before it calmed down. I mean, they should have been really two or three nil up straight away. But like you say, yeah, so predictable. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. like you say, we've seen Arsenal struggle against City certainly in the league for several seasons now. I mean, we had the FA Cup last season, obviously, didn't we? Where we Arteta and Guardiola, didn't he? Um, but do you think generally there's maybe some kind of inferiority complex from Arteta towards Guardiola or just in terms of the two clubs, just generally?
2: I think, I mean, they're quite... We played them twice this year and whilst they've come, you know, 1-0 is maybe a scoreline on both occasions that, you know, it could have been a lot more. But, you know, the margins remain quite tight and I do think, you know, Arteta's has shown himself to be a coach who at the moment is very much sort of reliant on the fine margins going his way. And I think City were for a while as well. And, and until recently, they sort of established the perfect balance between being defensively sound, doing just enough, or if not, you know, more, without having to exert themselves too much going forward. They just score the goals because it's so systematic and they're so used to it, it being successful. But um, yeah, I do th- feel like Arteta is obviously, he knows Man City very well. You know, he was he was speaking to the press afterwards and he was saying that, you know, from where the first game, the goal came from, they'd made a concerted effort to sort of stop that from happening, but it happened anyway. So yeah, there's definitely a, you know, he, he tried it in the first game in the season, he played Willian as false nine. It didn't really work. So I do think it's, you know, we've seen Guardiola in big games, always try and like take it a step too far or overthink it. I do think Arteta has a bit of that, especially against Guardiola. He knows how good they are. So we'll, we'll sort of, You know, there's no way to sort of um, beat them, basically, unless we sort of play in a different way, which we saw in the FA Cup last year. But I think, again, that's circumstance and we were sort of playing in a different way then. But yeah, I didn't really see how
1: we would win this game at all. There was talk on Sky Sports, I can't remember who it was, um, that um, Aubameyang's passed his best potentially. Um, I mean, in fairness, he's got a hat-trick last week. Um, but in the bigger picture, he's just he clearly he's down on his best. Um, you've got all the players like that, you know, the likes of Lacazette, Willian's not really hit the ground running. Are these players who are in bad form or are they just genuinely not as good as they once were? I mean, I the, the, is, it, is it too long now to just be bad form? I mean, it might I saw, be bad harsh, but.
2: yeah, I saw that it was Jamie Redknapp saying that Aubameyang's lost his superpower or something. Um, And I think in a game like yesterday, it's easy to say that because he didn't have any chances. We didn't create anything for him. He's not a striker who's going to come and get involved in the game. Um, and that's sort of what you get with the Bamiyang. In the last, you know, he had scored a hat trick against Leeds last week. He had, you know, he should have scored at least once against Benfica in the week. But the fact is, more recently, the way we've been playing, he's been getting those chances. And that's what he's done throughout his career got loads of chances, misses quite a few, but scores quite a few because that's the kind of striker he is. So to say he's like lost his powers, I think it's slightly dramatic. Yes, of course he's probably not as good as he was five years ago. Then again, I mean, when we compare this season to the last two years, again, I think his levels have sort of just come down to, to where, you know, the, the underlying metrics suggest they should be. And, when you compare him to the likes of Lacazette and Willian, I, I think it's slightly different. Lacazette and Willian have slowed down massively. Maybe Aubameyang has too, but I think he's always a player reliant on, on the chances that are created for him. And in the previous two games before City, he was getting all sorts of chances. His movement was brilliant. So I think... We'll still get a good amount of 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 contribution from him if we use him in the right way. Whereas William and Lacazette, I think, are different examples where physically and sort of their capabilities on the ball in terms of what we're looking to do as a team are perhaps moving away from what they can offer. Whereas Abamian can still contribute massively. So I think differentiating those two players or three
1: players is quite important. That's oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, well, if we just now do turn to to City, they're now ten points clear with I think thirteen games to go. It's it's a long coronation from here, isn't it? I mean, they've won, is eighteen in a row now. Um, I mean, they're not they're not messing it up from here, are hey, so,
2: they? They're just brilliant. A lot of people, I mean, me included, sometimes they they are quite uh, just the way they they win games. They really do dominate, and sometimes it's not in the most sort of aesthetically pleasing way. They really just do suck the life out of of the opponent and. Again, like I say, it's it's not, obviously they've got quality players, but just the way the players combine and you can just tell they're so well drilled and so systematic and perfect sort of creating openings and they have the quality of the players to sort of do both that, but then also have that creative flair. They're just an incredibly talented team. I mean, do you see their bench? I mean, let alone their starting 11, but the strength and depth they have, which shows, you know, clever recruitment and obviously you need a lot of money available for that to happen but they're just looking incredibly strong and again they had they didn't play with a striker yesterday didn't need to didn't have to do too much once they scored the first goal I mean defensively now they look brilliant Ruben Diaz I mean they look like they found Vincent Company 2.0 um, yeah they are just the best team in the world pretty much at the moment I think on current domestic form and, and everything else
1: all right, let's we'll have a quick break and then we'll uh, leave the Premier League alone for the time being. We'll just have a quick chat about the Champions League last week as well. As a
0: child, you would wait and watch from far away But you always knew that you'd be the one to work while they all play And you, you'd lay awake at night and ski Of all the things that you would change But it was just a dream
1: think the standout tie from the Champions League last week was uh, took place in, in the new Camp. Uh, Barcelona against PSG. Uh, battle of two former Southampton managers, uh, strangely enough. Um, I mean, the result, you know, Barcelona won PSG 4. Uh, maybe shouldn't be a surprise after their respective campaigns last season. I mean, we saw Barcelona crash out 8-2. Um, PSG beaten by the same opponent, just edged out in the final. Um but PSG generally do look look like a side growing in belief in Europe, while New Barcelona quite clearly sliding the other way.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, a few things like I remember looking at the team sheets before the game kicked off, and I thought, "Wow, like Barcelona putting out a really strong team here, regardless of how you know um, how far they've fallen from grace, really." But I still, it's very easy to sort of forget that they still have some real, real quality players there, um, but. Yeah, and it was quite funny to see Pochettino and Koeman embrace before the game. And I was like, 2 ex-Southampton managers? What are they doing (laughs) managing Barcelona and PSG in the Champions League quarterfinals or or round of 16, sorry? Um, Yeah, I mean, PSG were a a weird one. They look a bit better in in the Champions League. But then last night they lost 2-0 at home to Monaco. (laughs) Um, I think Barcelona are just so broken and their team just needs over a period of five, 10 years, such a, such a big reset that it's quite sad and, and sort of painful to watch them be torn apart. I mean, at the same time, how brilliant to see Kylian Mbappe do what he did. Absolutely. yeah. Um, No one in football can, can dispute how brilliant that was. Uh, But yeah, PSG, I mean, forget, (laughs) forget their domestic form. They should be looking to go far in Europe this year, as you say, or further. I mean, they got to the final last year, but.
1: I mean, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's, they're, what, third or fourth in the French League, which is obviously not a not where you'd expect them to be. But in European competition, they do seem really full of confidence at the moment. I mean, we can't forget, we have seen them beat Barcelona 4-0 in the first leg before and still, you know, get knocked out. But mm. looking kind of if last week's anything to go by and kind of the general tra- trajectory, especially Barcelona, that doesn't look like happening again, does it? I just cannot see that. Yeah,
2: you can't really see... I mean, Barcelona are sort of, as much as they had the comeback between, uh, against PSG, they've also thrown away, I think, two or three like huge first leg leads. I think one against Roma, Mm. one against Liverpool. Yes.
1: yes, Um, Yeah.
2: So I, and, and just knowing what they're like at the moment, seeing their team, seeing Messi just not at the peak of his powers, whether it's because of him or the team or off off the field stuff, probably a combination of all of it, but. I don't really see them sort of, you know, galvanising together and, and producing a, a memorable sort of historic 4-0 comeback win
1: at PSG. I just don't really see it happening. Although, who knows? <laughs> I mean, I just thinking to you know, Barcelona in recent seasons, they won the Champions League the under Luis Enrique, who then, I think he resigned, didn't he, on the back of the first leg against PSG, Um, he left at the end of the season. Uh, and then you look at after that, they've had Ernesto Valverde was uh, oversaw the you know the capitulation against Liverpool. We had Setien, who was annihilated by, by Munich last season. Mm-hmm. And now they've got Ronald Koeman, who looks, you know, to be have a, you know a similar sort of catastrophic failure against PSG. I mean, these are three incredibly for Club of the stash of Barcelona seen three incredibly underwhelming appointments. Like it's not really any wonder, to be honest, that they're not succeed particularly, particularly.
2: yeah and i think that sort of that that in itself you can you can look at it in, in the way that well would a would a really top manager sort of looking for a really good job looking to enhance their reputation or even a promising you know some of the most well regarded coaches would they want to go to barcelona at the moment given that the messy situation is ongoing given the club are in a billion pounds of debt given that you know the the ownership is is unclear you know they've got so many players right at the end of their sort of tether at Barcelona they've they've overspent on so many players it's just the pressure that comes with the job it's sort of you know it's incompatible with what they're able to do and I think kuman sort of again if you get the call when you're an ex-player and uh you don't necessarily turn it down but I'm not surprised that no sort of unbelievable manager's gone over there and sort of uh I don't think it's the right environment for someone like that to go in. kuman for example, I see him staying there for maybe a year, two years, overseeing a bit of a clear out. Boss owner are going to take a while to come back as a top team. But yeah, like you say, it's not really surprising seeing who's managing the teams, who's playing still, who's not playing and sort of how they're being run off the pitch as well. It is, uh, it's is—it's just a massive mess. I
1: mean, maybe this part of the things are. Some at some point in the next three or four seasons, whoever's manager of Barcelona is going to have to be the manager who oversees Messi leaving, whether that's going to another club, elsewhere in Europe, or just you know packing his bags and going to America, or just retiring completely. And Mm. I think for any manager in world football, you don't want to be the man who's in charge when Messi decides he's going to leave Barcelona. I think that's and that's perhaps not something that really plays on the minds of managers when they're signing. But I think certainly once you're in the job and you've got to try and contend with the constant kind of threat of Messi packing his bags and leaving, that's got to just put huge strain
2: on the task he got. I mean, yeah. And I think we can't overestimate the effect that Mm. it's so clear that Messi does not really want to be there and made a big effort to leave in the summer. We can't underestimate how much of an effect that has on the club as a whole. I mean, Messi's basically been Barcelona. Of course, he had brilliant players around him for, you know, a lot of it but for the last even five years or something or since Neymar left pretty much he is you know he embodies the club to such an extent that he holds all the power and when someone has one foot out the door basically you, it, you don't you can't have a functioning side when you, you'd say it's pretty unhealthy anyway to sort of have a player like Messi basically running the club he's a player but that just shows how much power he has and it's not sustainable and you, and you do you Obviously, Barcelona made a huge mistake letting Neymar go, regardless of how much money they they sort of got for him. But, you know, he was also signed for Barcelona with the view that he would succeed Messi. And, you know, it's hard to look past the fact that maybe Neymar, you know, he shouldn't have been sold that summer. And and maybe Messi, I know it's impossible and, and hypothetical, but he should have been the one to go because, you know, it's, it's just unsustainable. And it's a shame that it's had to end like this because... He just needs to go, I think, for Barcelona as a club to
1: get back to where they want to be and Messi to sort of be put out of his misery. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, they're, uh, I'm not entirely sure how they're doing in the league. I think they're fairly comfortable in terms of getting into the Champions League again next season. Yeah, um, I think Atletico Madrid are runaway leaders and you've got the likes of obviously Real and Sevilla there and thereabouts. Um, but I don't think there's really too much danger for that, but they've certainly got a huge summer coming up. Um, let's just move to uh, another fixture involving one of the English clubs. Um, Leipzig against Liverpool uh, it was a much needed victory for Liverpool um, I'm sure there are plenty of Man United fans who are wishing Leipzig were that toothless in mm. the uh, final match of the group stages um, but I think the main thing for me that I wanted to, to bring up for this is kind of the, not so much to do with the, the, the game itself but it's more to do with the idea of the away goals rule when one of the matches at a neutral venue I mean mm. we've seen Leipzig all intents and purposes playing an away game and conceding two away goals. And we saw it with Real Sociedad as well against United in the Europa League, losing 4-0 in their home leg. Um, I mean, that's just crazy, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is a bit ridiculous. I mean, the only thing you'd say is that ugh, both teams sort of have to deal with it and it's up to the teams to sort of manage the, the fairness of having both teams not having a home or away leg necessarily. However, you know, if one result doesn't go your way, for example, Sociedad are now at such a huge disadvantage, then game state comes into it and and it's slightly, I mean, it's ridiculously unfair, but yeah, like you say, I think surely if you're not playing at home or away, then don't have the home or away advantage, surely.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I agree with that. I mean, it's one of them, isn't it, that's kind of been talked about for a long time, the away goals rule. Well, I mean, it can, in certain instances, inject a bit of inc- a, 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 a excitement, obviously, um, but there's always been the thing about if you're the the home team in the second leg and it goes to extra time and away the away goal the away goals rule still applies, and you're having to play for an extra half hour like against the away goals rule. Something's like one team gets 90 minutes with the away advantage, the other team gets 120. Um, so it's kind of I don't think I articulate that particularly well, but I think the away goals rule is kind of something that's needed rethinking for a long time. I think it just kind of yeah, sheds light on that from a different perspective. time permitting we'll have a quick look at a couple of Premier League matches as well. Um so we'll just we'll look at this as just the two games evolving English sides I think. Um, we've got Atletico Madrid against Chelsea. Um I'm not sure we've got a huge amount to set about this particularly other than Atletico as we just mentioned are runaway leaders in La Liga. Chelsea mm. generally apart from obviously the cut out with the draw against Southampton are in pretty good shape at the moment as well. Um so you know two informed teams going head to head there.
2: Yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, Chelsea are in good form. Obviously, the new manager bounce. They... Did, what was their result of the week? Oh, they're due to Southampton, that's right. Um, but they've, been, they've looked pretty good, don't concede many goals. Atletico Madrid also been in great form, top of the league, also probably not conceding many goals. AKA, we're probably going to see a game with not many goals, uh, especially Atletico with their experience in the Champions League. And Thomas Tuchel as well. Um, It would be an interesting sort of tactical battle and it would be a real test for Chelsea to see where they're at under Tuchel and and whether they could do something great and sort of make something of this season. It's a great opportunity for for him as manager and for the players. But yeah, like you say, there's not too much to sort of go into until we see what happens. Um, But yeah,
1: interesting game. I mean, I would say not too much to say about this really, but certainly from Atletico Madrid perspective, they're probably Spain's leading light in the, the competition this season. Um they've come close before, they lost twice in the final, haven't they, in the last six, seven years. Mm. Um, so you know, potentially, you know, as kind of the, the 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 team from Spain this year, you've got a chance of winning it. Maybe it's worth not overlooking them just yet. But as I agree, it's an interesting matchup. We'll see how that see how that goes over the next two or three weeks. Um, the other game is Borussia Mönchengladbach against Man City um, now I do like my German football and Mönchengladbach last weekend lost against a team in the relegation zone in the Bundesliga um, and they're coming up against a team who've won 18 matches in a row in all competitions <laughs> um, so on paper it should be reasonably one-sided but um, we've seen this matchup before haven't we I think in the group stages and it was quite a, quite a tight affair actually
2: yeah, I was going to say that. I feel like they played each other. Were they in the same group last year, I think?
1: It may have been last year,
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Gladback were also pretty good in the group stage. I think, I mean, Real were slightly inconsistent at that point, but they were scoring a lot of goals against uh, Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk and whoever else was in that group. I think, was it Inter Milan? Maybe not Inter. Yeah, it was Inter
1: yeah, Milan. Yeah, yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, so, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're a good team. I think they've, Marco Rose, their, their coach, is obviously joining Borussia Dortmund in the summer. So I think they've got a really good manager. They've got some exciting players as well. But, you know, I think Man City will be looking to get a clean sheet and I'm sure they'll benefit from the away goals rule, albeit having to rotate probably quite a bit. But then again, is that really an issue for, for Man City at the moment? Probably not. Um, but yeah, yeah, it will be good to see, I guess, uh, an English team sort of go into a game pretty much favourites and, and seeing whether they can continue this ridiculous run into Europe. And again, they, they sort of need to need to really maximise their chance of going far this year because they didn't quite get around
1: to doing it last year. Well, I was going to say, in the last few years under Guardiola, obviously City is a club The one trophy they want to win is... In fact, I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of a weird case, aren't they, really, in terms of whether they'd rather win the Premier League or Champions League? But that's all. That's, that's, that's not for now. But that's the trophy they've they're yet to win. Guardiola, that's the one he wants to win to leave his mark at the club, obviously. We mm. saw them, they I think they reached the semi-final before they were knocked out of Real Madrid, I think, in his first season. We've seen them lose against Spurs over two legs, which they really should have won. And if they win that, you feel like they're going to go on and win the tournament. They were played off the park by Liverpool. In the semi-final, I think it was one season, and then last season, obviously that freak result against Lyon. So they have got it in them—a kind of capitulation in the Champions League.
2: <clears throat> yeah, they've always gone quite close. I mean, like you said, I think the first season Guardiola was there; they lost to Monaco, but that was a really good match yeah, yeah. with and, and Bernardo Silva and all of them a lot, <clears throat> um, and then crashed out to Liverpool, uh, crashed out to Spurs, obviously in crazy circumstances obviously got past Real Madrid last year and then got knocked out by Leon for Guardiola, obviously overthinking it way too much and far too cautious and probably showing how important the Champions League was to him and sort of playing it too safe or or overthinking it. So yeah, this season is a really good opportunity. Again, you know, Gladbach is not the most daunting draw, so they should be looking, setting their sights on, on getting to the final really because a lot of the big teams at the moment, you know, Bayern Munich are sort of, Think in the Bundesliga lost last their last game drawn yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. for
2: um, you know PSG slightly inconsistent again beat Barcelona but Barcelona aren't really around Liverpool struggling there's not really a dominant I mean apart from Atletico Madrid and Manchester City that I can think of I mean Juventus struggling um, who are sort of you know shoo-ins to win the Champions League this year so Man City should really. Based on form over the last, you know, couple of months, are favourites. I mean, who's to say they can't win the quadruple? I mean, I saw a headline about it today, but it's quite crazy to think that, you know, they're in the final against Car- in the Carabao Cup. They're going to win the Premier League, pretty much. They should be looking to to get further than the semis this year in the Champions League, FA Cup. Why not? They've got the squad to do it. So who knows? But. It's quite a daunting prospect then, <laughs> winning the No, and I
1: know. I agree. I mean, I think what's done for them in the past maybe is, and they've, I don't think they've ever really addressed this, is that what they don't have in their squad is kind of, they don't have players who've won the Champions League before. I mean, obviously they've got the manager, but they don't, I mean, they had the likes of Yaya for example, like the kind of odd player, but they don't have a squad with the, the Champions League winning mentality. But I suppose what they have got going for them this season is that they are on current form, just light years ahead of anyone else, um, which obviously counts for quite a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that one goes. Um, just we were short of time, but there's a couple of matchups in the Premier League, um, maybe just to have a little word about. Um, the first one being uh, Leicester against Arsenal. Um, Leicester, a joint second in the league. Arsenal, obviously, defeated against Man City last weekend. Um, but they've been showing signs of improvement overall. Let's not take that away from them. Um, so, kind of, what, what are you feeling towards that trip to the king power?
2: Uh it's a game that I I think is more important in terms of like being able to start getting a few points than the game against Manchester city, for example, mm-hmm. having said that again, it's a big test because lesser are a better team than us. And they have been for the last two, three years, really. We have not really done that well against them at the King power over the last few years. Um, We've also just, you know, we will have had our Benfica game on Thursday, which arguably is more important um, because obviously it was a 1-1 draw last week in the Europa League, so I'm sure f- attention will be focused on that. Uh, it's a difficult one because Leicester are a great team and and Arsenal, you know, I, again, I saw the graphic today about league position since Christmas Day with fifth in the table since then, which is a marked improvement since, uh, you know, to the first half of the season where we were probably about 17th. But you know, we are just a, a team who's starting to show promise, which I'm, I'm really happy about, but we'll lose games. And, you know, having to balance the Europa League and that, you know, I'm not going into the game confident by any stretch, but I expect us to to really put up a fight. We should be looking to get the three points because it's really important. So if we lose that game, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really hurt. But again, all will depend on, on the Benfica game midweek to see how, you know, how important the Leicester game is and how we view it. But yeah, Leicester looking great. Uh, Barnes and and Madison and, and all the rest of them
1: alright I think that's a fairly comprehensive summary of, of that game um, <laughs> I don't really have too much to add myself so we'll just, I think the, the, the one more one more match just to so talk about is Chelsea against Man United um, now I was having a little think that day to my knowledge certainly Man United have not had an injury crisis at all really compared to the likes of the teams around them like you know Liverpool, Man City Leicester mm. even um, mm. I don't think Chelsea have particularly either so the two teams who you would expect probably to be up at the top end of the table because they've not kind of had that disruption um, and it will be interesting because they are you know Man United generally it's, it's, it's a bit weird because you feel like they're a lot worse than they actually are like you kind of still have to think about oh it's Man United kind of fighting yeah. over Europe League places but you know they are Second on merit, and then you've got Chelsea creeping up on the top four. Um, looking to usurp West Ham as the top placed London club. Um, ridiculous things to be saying, um, but you know it's it is a it's always an entertaining match, Chelsea against Man United. It's kind of you know United have got a habit of drawing big games nil nil, but this is one that generally seems to seems to uh, not disappoint, shall we say? Um, so yeah, what do you think is unusual? What are your what your thoughts about that? Again,
2: it's like, I think United will probably be in a better position going into this one just because they can probably afford to take take the take the foot off the gas a bit in their second leg against Sociedad. Obviously, Chelsea would have just played uh, Atletico, albeit they'll have a longer break. Actually, that's, yeah, to be fair, Tuesday and Thursday, that's, that's quite a big difference in mm-hmm. terms of recovery days. So who knows? I mean, for a neutral, this game is, I feel like, uh, United have always done they've done pretty well against Chelsea of late or at least over the last couple of years I could be wrong yeah I
1: think it's one of those you don't generally tend to associate Man United with having bad prolonged bad runs of form I think Stamford Bridge has generally been a tough place to go um, I mean, Rashford scored that free kick there, didn't he, last season in the Caravan Cup? I can't remember what happened in the league. I think we oh, won in the league as well, Maguire scored. I think it was 2-0. Um, so on very recent form, it's not been too bad at Stamford Bridge, but it has been one of those stadiums that United have struggled at historically.
2: Yeah, I guess it's a different thing as well with, with Tuca coming in. And this is sort yeah. of his first... I know he had the Spurs game, but that was really early on. He has another big game now against Atletico and then United. So it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of develop as a team. Um, I mean I guess what, what are you thinking as a United plan going into that one
1: what am I thinking I I I don't really know I never know what to expect from one week to another anymore there was a time this season where I was like oh it's an away fixture easy three points but yeah. those days have kind of been gone now I think it's probably you know one all kind of cagey I think certainly not from United I think it's going to be too, it's kind of too cool will kind of make it a cagey game I think he doesn't, he doesn't want to lose too many big games too early on
2: yeah. I mean again I'll just point this out before we before we go um one of my friends a united fan was was reading out um sort of a statistic about how many games certain managers have lost since I think it was maybe since Mourinho's taken over or Arteta's taken over so within the space of about a year and you know Arteta's lost the most uh, Mourinho's lost the second most Lampard was third most and then I think below even maybe Guardiola and Klopp was uh, Solskjaer I think he's only lost four games or something like that in the league maybe or can't exact, exactly remember the stat but it made for an impressive reading so you don't tend to lose many games That that's for sure.
1: No it's a fair comment and he is with every passing result against the big teams that you know that we don't lose not necessarily win them but that we don't lose he's kind of growing in stature and kind of because you know if he turns up at Anfield and gets beaten four 0 or gets rolled over by City, then you know everyone's going to be harsh. Solskjaer, useless manager, but he is standing up to these to these managers and these going to these big stadiums against other you know fellow Big Six teams and you know showing his metal. So um, you know credit to him for that, and um, we'll see how it goes. I'm not expecting a you know a four old kind of affair, but I'm yeah, expecting an entertaining match. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, thanks for joining. me, I think we are just about out of time now. Um, just about got a minute left, so I can squeeze the jingle in at the start. Um, <laughs> so we'll uh, leave it there for this week. Thanks for joining me again, Alfie. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Bye bye.